0: Thank you so much to our preschool and children's choirs. You guys did a marvelous job today singing, and we're so grateful. Parents, let me encourage you, if you don't have your children in one of these choirs, they meet every Sunday afternoon from 5 until 6, and it's an incredible way to shape and to form the heart to love the Lord, to learn who God is, and to learn how to sing. We're so thankful for our volunteers who give of themselves in this way. Thank you guys so much. So let me encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and look with me to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 10, as we continue to make our way through this revelation of God. If you're visiting with us this morning, it is our habit here at Woodlawn Baptist to take books of the Bible and to preach through books of the Bible. We rotate between Old Testament and New Testament, for we believe that Every book of the Bible is a book in which God himself has spoken, and if we want to know rightly who is God, we know that through the revelation of his word. Scripture is sufficient to teach you and me exactly who God is and what he requires of us. So we turn our attention to Exodus chapter 10, we'll be this morning in Exodus chapter 10 verses 21 through 28 in the ninth plague. And if you had read this text of Scripture ahead of time before worship today, then you would have recognized and noticed a number of themes. Perhaps later this afternoon, you could go back and reflect on, take your worship guide, reflect on the words that we have just sung, the text of Scriptures that we read, and you'll see this close connection to this text of Scripture here in Exodus chapter 10, verses 21 through 29. We have seen in this movement God seeking to make himself known. We've looked at this now for several weeks in Exodus chapter 9 and repeated again in Exodus chapter 10. And again in Exodus chapter 14, God is very clearly communicating that it is, that it is his desire that the Israelites might know that he is God. So much of what is taking place here is on behalf of, for the benefit of, the nation of Israel. But it's not only for the benefit of, and on behalf of the nation of Israel, we learn from Exodus chapter 14 that God not only desires for his name to be honored and magnified and glorified among his people, God has a desire for all peoples, even the pagan Egyptians to know exactly who he is. And so we've made our way through these plague narratives. We've seen the Nile turn into blood. We've seen the devastation of the vegetation in Egypt. We've seen their economy be completely destroyed. We've seen the plagues affect humanity as boils appear on their skin. We have even seen in some way Death. If you remember from the seventh plague, the Lord gave the warning that He was going to send hell. He gave them enough warning to get out from the hell, both beast and man, and some listened and some did not, so we've already seen death. Reflecting later on what God's entire purpose is in this plague narrative, Moses is writing in Numbers chapter 33 verse 4, and the Bible records these words, while the Egyptians were burying all of their firstborn whom the Lord had struck down among them, on their gods also the Lord executed judgment. God, throughout these plagues, is absolutely executing judgment against every one of these Egyptian deities who supposes themselves to be equal with Yahweh, the creator of the heavens and the earth. From the very beginning, Pharaoh himself, the earthly embodiment of the Egyptian gods, has set himself in opposition against God, and so in some ways what we've seen throughout this plague narrative is this divine battle that is taking place between Yahweh and the gods of Egypt embodied in Pharaoh himself, but not just the gods of Egypt as embodied in Pharaoh, indeed the gods of Egypt themselves. We've seen this take place all the way from the very beginning of the first plague narrative that took place the flooding of the narrative. You had the God of of the flooding of the Nile River by the name of Happy, and what takes place in that first narrative? Who wins the battle? Happy or Yahweh? Yahweh. Yahweh proves his control over one of the more powerful ancient deities in the Egyptian mindset. But it's not just Happy to whom God himself shows he is superior against. you remember the next plague. I'm going to send you frogs, and they're going to be everywhere. When do you want the frogs? Tomorrow. I want them removed to tomorrow. Leave them here for another day. And the Egyptian god Heket was the frog god who was the goddess of fertility and life. And who wins the battle? Yahweh wins the battle. And we come today to this text of scripture. One of the things that you'll notice as you look at this text of scripture, verses 21 through 29, it's short. Go back to the beginning of chapter 10 and look at this eighth plague narrative. It covers three quarters of a chapter. But you'll notice that this ninth plague is, is relatively short. And notice how this ninth plague even begins. We don't see this conversation between God and Moses and Aaron, and then Moses and Aaron and Pharaoh. It, it just begins, And the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness that shall be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. So right from the beginning of this narrative, we don't have to wait. We don't have to wonder. Immediately, God through Moses executes judgment against the nation of of Egypt, we might read this as supposing that Moses and God are losing patience with Pharaoh. No more time for back and forth, no more time for a plea, Pharaoh, please do this, please let our people go, we want to go out and worship, we want everybody to go out and worship. No, just immediately. Immediately. Here's the judgment of God. And it's interesting what the judgment of God is here in this ninth plague. Darkness. There is much more happening with this plague narrative than just simply the Egyptians couldn't see for three days. It's a foreshadowing of what utter darkness and chaos and destruction will be for those who stand opposed to God, for those who reject Jesus as Lord. And we'll see that narrative next week in the 10th plague. And what is that ultimate darkness and chaos? Death. But it's not just a foreshadowing of what is to take place. We saw a few moments ago in Numbers chapter 33, verse 4, that what God is also doing throughout this plague narrative is he's executing judgment against all of the Egyptian deities. And the one Egyptian deity who reigns supreme is Amon Re or Amon Ra. He is the creator God. He is seen as the God that is above all gods. And in fact, Pharaoh is seen as the son of Amon-Re or Amon-Ra. He's the embodiment. Pharaoh is the embodiment of this great and glorious God. And he's the God of, you might guess it, the sun. And in case you might be wondering this morning what God reigns supreme. In case you've missed the narrative from the beginning in Exodus chapter five, in case you're prone to think in your own heart that even you, yes you, are your own God and can control the narrative of your life. This text reminds us that there is one divine being who reigns supreme, and when we do not submit our lives to him, he will cast judgment against our lives. God is showing that he and he alone is the ultimate reigning king, not just toward Israel, but toward all people. He reigns supreme. So darkness now covers all of the face of Egypt. Notice the intensity of this darkness. My Bible and your Bible in the English communicates it at the end of verse 21, a darkness that can literally be felt. It's a darkness that is oppressive. It's a darkness that is, is heavy. It's a darkness against which the Egyptians themselves, if you will, cannot even stand. But it's not only a darkness that can be felt. Notice the intensity of this darkness. It is complete darkness. Utter, total darkness. Our English Bible says, pitch darkness. Few of us have ever experienced pitch darkness. Last night, Ella and I were at home, and after it had gotten nightfall, we went for a walk. But at six o'clock, we were also outside and you could look up and see the moon. And so I said, Ella, do you see that beautiful moon? And she looked up and saw the moon, and she said, where are the stars? You couldn't quite see the stars yet. It was still too bright. An hour later, we walked outside around the block, and it was a beautiful, clear night. And I said, Ella, look up and see the stars. Who made those stars? God. Few of us have ever experienced a night of utter pitch darkness where you literally cannot see your hand in front of your face. But this is how the Bible records God's judgment against the Egyptians. Look what it says, verse 23. It was so dark they did not even see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. Pharaoh said to him, this is completely unacceptable. You must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take of them to serve the Lord our God. And we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart He strengthened his heart. And he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said, get away from me. Take care never to see my face again, for on the day you see my face, you will surely die. And Moses says, as you say, I will not see your face again again. Of course, you know the narrative as it progresses. Moses is going to see Pharaoh's face again. But what is Pharaoh expressing here? We not only notice from the very beginning of this narrative and how right from the beginning judgment is executed. Moses and Aaron have no patience, if you will, for a conversation with Pharaoh. But we get to the bottom of this, and it's not only Moses and Pharaoh whose patience have run out. Pharaoh's patience, too, have run out. This is what Pharaoh is saying. I don't want to see you anymore. I don't want to engage with you anymore. Enough. Get away from me. And he gives a warning. Why does Pharaoh give a warning? Because Pharaoh still hasn't learned, has not learned the lesson that he is not God. Pharaoh, like many of you and me, has still not learned the lesson of relinquishing control and surrender to God. So he makes another stand. Moses, away from me. Don't come back. And if you do, I am going to kill you. But Pharaoh doesn't realize it's not he who holds the narrative or the life of Pharaoh or the Israelites in his hands. It's God. And God reigns supreme, not Pharaoh. This darkness that is pervasive is not only a foreshadowing, as I mentioned just a few moments ago, a foreshadowing of the ultimate darkness that will pervade the Egyptian culture. It's also a foreshadowing of what the ultimate problem is for Pharaoh and the Egyptians. It's also a foreshadowing of what is ultimately wrong with your heart In my heart. This narrative is a foreshadowing of exactly what takes place in our hearts apart from the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. This text is a foreshadowing of your heart and my heart's posture before a holy and righteous and good God apart from the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, friends, my sin and your sin, Pharaoh's sin and the Egyptian sin can can be defined just like this darkness here in this passage of Scripture. It's a darkness that is completely blinding. It's a darkness that is completely overcoming. It's a darkness that is completely oppressive. And this is also what the writer of the Proverbs says in Proverbs Chapter 4, verse 19. The way of the wicked is utter, deep darkness. It's sinful. It's separation from God. There is absolutely, literally no light, no hope. But this is also how Jesus defined the human heart. In John chapter three, listen to how Jesus defines the human heart in John chapter three, verse 19. And this is a judgment that light has come into the world and people loved what? Darkness. People loved darkness rather than light because their hearts were what? Fully and completely and totally wicked. This is also what Paul is getting at in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter four, as he reflects on humanity's heart. Listen to what he says in verses 17 and 18. Now this, I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of what? Heart. See, friends, in a very real way, Pharaoh's problem is our problem. But the solution that God has for Pharaoh and the Egyptians is the same solution that God has for you and me. The problem is the same and the solution is the same. What is that solution? Obedience to God and as my friend said, Jesus. And you're exactly right, buddy. For Jesus reminds us back again in the gospel of John in John chapter 8. Hear these words of Christ in John chapter 8 verse 12. And again, Jesus said to them, saying, spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Yes, your heart and my heart apart from Christ, the Egyptians' hearts apart from Christ, Pharaoh's heart apart from Christ is an utter, complete, total chaos separation from God. And oh, by the way, where do we see this chaos also in the text of Scripture? In the very beginning. What was the earth like before God created? Do you remember that text from Genesis chapter one? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and what? Darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. In some ways, this plague is also bringing us back to the very beginning when nothing except chaos existed on the earth, a chaos without form. It was void. It did not yet have the imprint of God in creation upon it to bring beauty and glory out of that chaos. But what does God do for you and for me? through creation. What does God do for you and for me in the sending of his son Jesus Christ? God upends our chaos. And he weaves into that chaos peace, joy, love, patience, kindness, goodness self-control. Friends, this is why Jesus would patiently, compassionately, pastorally look at this same group of people who had rejected him, and in Matthew chapter 11, make that strong plea to come to me, all you who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Why? Because apart from Christ, it's utter chaos, it's utter destruction, it's utter darkness. But friend, in Christ, and in Christ alone, there is light, there is life. This is why Jesus would say to his disciples, I have come that you may have life and that you may have that life more abundantly. Have you, friend, received the light of life? Have you trusted in Christ? Have you moved from, other, from utter darkness and chaos and destruction and come into the marvelous and glorious light of Christ seeing what God through Christ has done on your behalf. See, friends, the narrative of the text of Scripture is we are exactly like Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. Pharaoh can't save you? And by that, I mean a God in your own making, an idol in your own heart, can't provide you with the happiness and the joy that is life-sustaining. Did you see what God did for his people back in Exodus chapter 10? Where was their darkness? Everywhere but among God's people. For among God's people there was light And there was life. And that image, friends, is a beautiful, right image for the completion of God's work in our hearts and in our lives. For apart from Christ, there's chaos, there's destruction, there's darkness. But in Christ, there is life. There is freedom. There is joy. Would you come to that light this morning? Would you come to Christ today? Would you leave behind the destruction and the chaos and the darkness in your life? Would you come to Jesus, who is the light of the world, your light and my light. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the revelation of Christ. We thank you that through Christ, you and you alone remove all the destruction in our lives. You remove the chaos. You, God, by your spirit and through your word, you remove the darkness and the blindness that covers our eyes. You, God, and you alone move us from men and women who grope in darkness to men and women who see the light. So God, this morning we ask that by your spirit you might show us your light Would you take a few moments where you're seated this morning with your heads bowed and respond to the preaching of God's Word? Would you survey your own heart this morning? Your own life today? What is your heart's posture before a holy, righteous God? Are you in the light today? If you are, would you pause for a moment where you're seated and thank God for Christ? Would you thank God that he has shown to you that marvelous light of Jesus? Would you thank him for the sacrifice that the true Son of God has made on your behalf? Friend, if you're here this morning, and you're living in darkness. In other words, you've never repented of your sins and trusted in Christ. Your heart is still an idol-making factory, pumping out gods of your own making on a daily basis. And you, like Pharaoh, still live your life in opposition to God, supposing yourself that you can do it without God. Would you hear the truth of this text this morning? Would you see God's judgment against you and know that final judgment is coming? Would you trust in Christ this morning? When the Bible says that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And this morning, your life at this moment can move from darkness to light by faith and hope and trust and belief in Jesus as King, as Lord. Would you do that this morning? In just a few moments, we're going to stand and corporately respond to the preaching of God's word through song. And as we sing, friends, if you have questions about what it means to trust in Christ, myself and Pastor Travis will be standing down front. We would delight in sharing with you how you can trust in Christ. But friend, you don't have to walk forward to speak with one of us. Please feel free to turn to someone seated next to you, for there are plenty of people that are seated around you who believe in the gospel and would delight in sharing with you how you can trust in Christ. Secondly, maybe you'd like for one of us to pray with you. Maybe even as a believer, you find yourself in a situation this morning in which the darkness of the world is overshadowing your joy. And you'd like for us to pray that through Christ, by His Spirit and His Word, that you might see clearly again Jesus as the light of the world. We would delight in shepherding your heart by praying for you. And thirdly, maybe God has impressed it upon your heart that this is a congregation in which you need to be connected, to be a member of, to live out your life on mission with him. This would be an opportunity for you to express your interest in being part of this faith family. Lord, as we respond to you, may our responses be pleasing, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me as we sing?